What an awesome God we serve. I have the privilege of introducing um, our preacher for today. He's no stranger. We've seen him. We've watched him. Most of us in this, in this room, sometime or another, find ourselves doing this. <laughs> After the spoken word. But one thing we cannot deny, that we have seen the anointing of God upon him. And I am excited tonight to see what God is going to do. I believe that God is, is going to raise him to a level that we have never seen before. I do believe it. That God is going to use him in a mighty, in a mighty way. So to my brother, like pastor tells us, just jump and trust God to catch you. Trust God to do whatever he desires to do with you. Just jump and don't worry about what happened after you jump. Just trust God and jump. And allow God to have his way. So without further ado, I want to present to you this preacher for tonight, Brother Justin Williams. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord, everybody. It truly is an honor and a privilege to be here for you tonight. And first and foremost, I thank God because without him, I wouldn't even be here. I would have been dead sleeping in my grave a long time ago. But glory be to God, he saw fit for me to be here tonight. To my pastor, I want to say thank you just for allowing God to use you in such a way to to guide me and to guard me in the purpose that God has chosen for me to walk in. I love you and I appreciate you. To my rib, my wife, my best friend, thank you. I will never be able to tell you just how much you mean to me, just how much you encourage me, just how much you, you push me to walk in what God has called me to be and what he's called me to do. So I thank you. To my family who's here in the house supporting me tonight, we here. <laughs> we, uh, we here. And I want to thank you for pushing me and, and motivating me and encouraging me and to walk in what God has called me to do. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Something I thought was familiar until God showed me I didn't know it at all. 
And depending on the translation you have, it says this. I know how to be abased or humbled and live humbly in straitened circumstances. And I know also how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I've learned in any and all circumstances the secret of facing every situation, whether well-fed or going hungry, having sufficiency and enough to spare or going without and being in one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You may be seated. The title that God gave me for this was, Do We Really Know How to Fight? Do we really know how to fight? Heavenly Father, right now, I thank you. I glorify you, and even now, I'm asking that you just move me out of the way. I'm asking that your word cut me so that it may cut somebody else, Lord God. Have your way. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. Most of us don't know what we do in a fight until we're actually in one. Too many times we talk about what we will do, what we can do, what we're able to do. But until we're in the heat of the moment, we have no idea what it is we'll actually do in a fight. Because every fighter's number one weapon in his arsenal isn't his speed, isn't his strength, it's not even his skill. It's his experience. Yes. Any accomplished fighter to go on to win the fights that actually matter has to depend and lean on the experience that he's had in every other fight up until that point. And no matter how big or how bad we think we are, we'll never go on to win the fights that actually matter because we have more faith in our fists than we do in our God. Uh-huh. Or we'll fight Jimmy up the street. We'll fight Tasha from around the corner. We ain't got no problem fighting our family members, but put us up against oppression. Put us up against stress. Put us up against worry. Put us up against doubt or fear or wherever the real fight is, and we buckle and we cave every time because we have no idea as to what we're actually fight against or how to fight it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark and present world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have no experience fighting what actually matters in the places that actually matter. We have no real experience because all the time we are fighting an enemy who's sitting and laughing in our face because we're smack dab in the middle of a war that we are unprepared for and we show it each and every day by fighting among ourselves. You don't believe me, just check out the news. Check out what's going on in Charlottesville. Check out what's going on between North Korea and the United States. Check out what's going on with the police in our African-American community. We have no idea what we're in the middle of. We have no idea how to be prepared for what it is that God has actually called us to fight because we have too small and too narrow of an experience with him for him to show us how. Second Corinthians chapter 5. No, I'm sorry. Chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down thoughts, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge or the personal understanding of who God is, bringing into captivity every thought into obedience unto Jesus Christ. You know what this scripture is saying? You're not of the world. Why you keep trying to fight like it? God has said that you are a chosen generation, that you are a royal priesthood, that you are a holy nation, that you are more than a conqueror. And if that be true, if that be true, we need to know how to walk, talk, act, think, and fight like it. And we can only do that through a relationship with Jesus Christ and allowing him and enabling him and trusting him as he puts us in situations to show us just how to do that. Psalms chapter 144, verse 1, which is probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. David was probably one of the baddest boys in biblical history. And one of the reasons that he was such a bad boy is because he had a love and a thirst and an enjoyment with God to the place where he wanted to experience God in every area of his life, even in the way that he fought. So God purposefully put David in situations that were uncomfortable and that were life-threatening to show him how to fight, not just with his fist, but with his faith. God was preparing David because David knew that he was fighting against giants that were much bigger and better than he is. I'm not just talking about his Goliaths. I'm talking about injustice. I'm talking about slander. I'm talking about envy. I'm talking about the things that some of us come up against each and every day, and we still don't have any ideas to how to fight it. David knew that these were some of the things that he was going to fight against, and he knew that he couldn't do it in and of his own strength. But if David knew that, why don't we? Why is it that we think we big and bad enough to fight some of the things that actually matter when in and of our own strength, we're weak? In any event, David. David is fighting some of these things that actually matter, but he had to allow God to place him in situations that were uncomfortable and that were life-threatening. God, in order to show you how to fight by faith, is going to put you in situations that are uncomfortable. He's going to put you in situations that may feel like they're life-threatening. But he's doing that so he can strengthen and temper and build your faith to the place where you can lean and depend on him and the experience that you know you've had with him. Yes. Yes. Summer of 2005, right before I went into college, I spent two weeks in the psych ward. I was watching something dealing with angels and demons, something that I was spiritually unprepared for, and doctors say I had a bipolar episode. So my grandmother took me to Children's Hospital, and they admitted me to a wing called P3 West, and I'll never forget it. I was in there with a, with a little girl who had sores on her wrists because she had cut herself so that she could bleed out three different times. Yes, sir. I was in there with a young lady who had not only cut her wrist, but it burned herself to the place where she attempted to burn herself. I was in there with a young man who was in a wheelchair and had to be handcuffed to a police officer at all times because he had beaten somebody to death with a baseball bat. Yes, sir. Here I am in the middle of all this chaos in the last place where peace can be found. Do you know what I'm doing? Yes, sir. 
I'm studying chemistry. I'm studying calculus. I'm studying fundamentals of engineering. I'm studying in preparation for going to college in the fall. Even though I'm in the last place, I would expect to find peace of mind. This is where I found peace of mind in the last place because people would have thought that I had lost my mind. God was training me in the art of peace. God was training me in an experience with him that I could lean and depend on whenever my peace had been threatened. God was using an experience that I was uncomfortable with, surrounded by danger, where I thought my life was in danger. But God said, this is only temporary for you. This is a training ground for you. I'm showing you how to strengthen and temper your faith so that you can lean on and depend on me for what I have in preparation for you. David had this understanding, but also Paul did. Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, and he's in a Roman prison. Yes, sir. After being beaten, after being stoned, after being flogged, which is an effective form of torture. And here he is all throughout the book of Philippians, and he's talking about joy. And he's talking about peace. Because he knew that God had given him an experience that taught him how to fight this fight through faith. And it had showed him how to be dependent on God. That's why he says, I know the secret to being humble. I know the secret to prospering. I know the secret of going hungry. I know the secret of having too much. I know the secret of having too little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because God put him in situations where he had to learn how to fight using humility, where he had to learn how to fight using dependence on God, where he had to learn how to fight using patience. Because these are the real weapons of any Christian. But too many times we associate them with weakness. I'm trying to be humble, man, you soft. I'm trying to be humble, man, you whack. I'm trying to be patient, you are soft. But until God puts us in the situations we actually need to use these weapons, we have no idea how strong these weapons actually are. Any soldier on the battlefield knows that the best thing he could possibly do is to fight from an elevated position. Why? Because not only can you see the enemy coming, but now you can fight from a place of convenience. You don't have to put forth so much effort in fighting this enemy. God has a different way of fighting. God has a way of teaching you how to fight from the lowest position possible. Because when your victory actually comes, if he doesn't put you in such a low position, you'll think that you had something to do with it. But when God is showing you how to fight, he will put you in situations that force you to humble yourself. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12 says, he who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who is humbled shall, exalt, shall be exalted. He who humbles himself shall be exalted. Because anytime you position yourself in a place of humility, you position yourself in a place of victory. Paul had that understanding. And he had that understanding because God put him in some of the most horrible situations you could possibly imagine because it taught him how to humble himself. Yes, yes, sir. Acts chapter 14, verses 9 through 20, Paul and his boy Barnabas are walking through the city of Lystra. Yes, sir. And Paul and Barnabas operating in the spirit, they see a man who's been crippled for all of his natural life. Yes. 
And because Paul is walking and working in the spirit, he sees that this man has the faith necessary to be healed. So he heals this man in the name and by the holy power and spirit of Jesus Christ. Problem with that is this. The people in that city were known for worshiping Greek gods. And so now, because they saw Paul in action, they believe that he and Barnabas are Greek gods in human form. So now they come before Paul and they come before Barnabas and they offer sacrifices unto them. But Paul and Barnabas being the men of God that they actually are, they tear their clothes, which is a symbol of humility. And they say, hold on, nah, we're men just like you are. We're servants just like you are. The only difference is we come to you in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ so that you can put away these senseless and these stupid idols so that you can serve the one true and living God. That was a problem with some of the Jewish leaders in the Roman cities. So they come and they see Paul and Barnabas and they hear what they're saying and they say, oh, really? Okay. So they get in the crowd's ear and they convince the crowd to take Paul and have him stoned. For those of you who don't know just how horrible of an experience that is, it's still going on in countries over in the Middle East. What they do is they'll take you and they bury you in the middle of a deserted plain up to your shoulders. And they literally take turns throwing stones at you. Matter of fact, this is still legal in certain countries. The only, problem, the only thing that's illegal about it is using too small of a stone. So now they purposefully take turns throwing stones at you until they believe you to be dead. So they do this to Paul because he's preaching Jesus Christ. And so after they do this, they take this man, lifeless in their arms, carry him outside of the city and they throw him in the street, leaving him for dead. The disciples that are with him, they come and they gather a circle around him. And theologians say at this point that Paul has experienced the third heaven. Because after a little while, he opens his eyes. He stands up on his feet. After being left for dead. Not only does he get up, he goes right back into the very same city. Where people tried to kill him. And he goes back to do the very same thing that they stoned him for in the first place. First time I heard this, I thought Paul was either crazy or stupid. I won't lie to you. I mean, you go right back into a city where people who are worshiping Greek gods decide to go and kill you. And then you go right back into that very same city and preach the same thing that got you stoned in the first place. It wasn't until later on that I realized that Paul wasn't fighting the people that has tried to stone him to death. He was fighting unbelief. He was fighting fear. He was fighting faithlessness with the very same faith that God had given him in the first place. God had humbled him. In every situation up until this point. And so he had no problem going right back into that city and preaching to the glory of God and by the power of God. If Paul can do that, 
If Paul can do that with enough humility, with enough humility, humbling himself to the place where he could go right back and spit in death's face. My question is, where's our humility? Where's our faith? Because this is one of the very weapons that God is showing us or trying to show us how to use and walk into the completion of our purpose. Yes, but in order for us to do that, in order for us to be humble and humble ourselves to the place where we can trust God readily for whatever our purpose yes, is, we have to be dependent on God. Yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. 300 is probably my favorite war movie of all time. <laughs> it really is. Simply because 300, for those of you that don't know, is a story about, and a true story at that, about 300 Greek soldiers going up against an army of a million Persians. Yes, sir. The Persian army at this time, they're going all over the world and they're conquering everything and anything in sight. And so they get to Greece and they say, worship with us or die. Join us or die. But these, <laughs> what they don't know about these Greeks is they've been training to fight since birth. Yes, sir. They go through a process from the time that they're born to the time that they are dead, learning and training how to fight. So they get to Sparta and they say, oh really? You think that you're gonna come and you're gonna take our children, you're gonna take our, our women, you're gonna take our land from us and you really think we're not gonna do anything about it? Okay. So these 300 warriors, they go up against an army of a million Persians, and before they die, they kill over 200,000. Yes, over 600 times the force that they had. Yes. They had a system called a phalanx, which is a system that they had where they would defend the person on their left with their shield from thigh to neck. That was their job. And as long as they were dependent on one another and as long as they did what they were supposed to do, the enemy couldn't touch them. Yes, How many of you know tonight that God is doing the same thing with us? God is doing the exact same thing with us. Our only problem is we're not dependent enough on, on him in order for him to show us. Yes, all right. Psalms chapter 18 verse 2 says, the Lord is my rock my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my keen and firm strength in whom I will trust and take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Amen. What is the scripture saying? God has you covered each and every time you step on the battlefield. Amen. God is a protector of his children. God is a coverer of his children. No matter what situation you may find yourself in, God is able and willing to protect you. But hold on, fool. Wait a minute. How you gonna tell us that after what you said happened to Paul? How you gonna tell us that after Paul, you said, was stoned, dragged outside of the city, and left for dead? God never said life wasn't gonna hurt. Matter of fact, there are situations where God will allow hurt to come your way and even usher hurt to come your way because you'll be stronger than you were before the hurt ever came. Matter of fact, there are certain situations, depending on who's doing the hurting, that 
the hurt they put on you will hurt less than the hurt God is putting on them. Because of the fact that God is using your pain to usher them into salvation. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, for we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Now, some of us Christians, we say that scripture whenever something unfavorable happens to us, whenever something unexpected happens to us, whenever something we don't like happens to us. But how many of us actually depend on this with our very lives? Yes, sir. Good question. Yes, sir. I can't say I've reached the place where I have, but I know Paul did. Yeah. Yeah. I know Paul did. Yes. That's why he actually reaches a place where he can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes. But in order for us to be able to say that, we have to allow God not just to show us how to be dependent on him, but for us to be willing to trust him enough to put us in some of those situations of suffering that are going to try our faith, that are going to try our hope, that are going to try our joy, that are going to try our peace, that are going to try each and everything that God has given us to fight with. And that involves using a weapon that most Christians claim they know how to master but haven't even touched it yet. Patience. A friend of mine once told me, you better be careful when you ask God for patience. And when I asked him why, he said, because patience only comes through suffering. The more patience you ask for, the more suffering you better be ready to go through. <laughs> and I didn't believe him until God actually put me through it. <laughs> the, more suff the more you ask God for, the more he's going to put you in situations where he's going to see how bad you actually want it. And not only how bad you actually want it, but whether or not you're able to handle it. But the beautiful thing about the process that God puts you through is that James calls it a perfect work, which means that as you're going through this suffering, as you're going through this pain, you are being molded and shaped and perfected so that God can actually bless you to walk in the victory that he's already proclaimed for you to have so that you can walk in it in full confidence to see the glory that is on the other side of the suffering. So just like any other parent, you want more responsibility? Okay. You want more privileges? Okay. You want more accountability? Okay. You want more anointing? Okay. You want more favor? Okay. You want more grace? You want more, more knowledge of who you are and what it is you've actually been called and created to do? Okay. God is going to put you through the suffering needed to, to actually allow you and prepare you to walk in it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Paul had that understanding. After being stoned, after being whipped, after being flogged, after being shipwrecked three different times, he tells the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the real thing that I found funny about Paul is that before he ever became Paul, back when he was Saul, when he was persecuting the church, he had no idea that he was going to go through some of the same suffering that Christ went through. Yes, sir. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, Verses 5 through 11, they give you a glimpse of a suffering soldier. Yes, they give you a glimpse yes, of a conqueror. Uh -huh. mm. uh. Your attitude should be the same 
as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider it equality with God to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you turn back into the Old Testament, if you look at Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 5, they give you a different glimpse. They say he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we considered him insignificant. We esteemed him not surely. He took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted by God, thinking that it was something he had done, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. If you scroll just a little bit further to verses 10 through 12, they tell you this. They give you a glimpse of this suffering soldier in victory, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his spiritual offspring, his spiritual offspring. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life on the death and was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered with the sinners for he bore the sin for the transgressors. What is the scripture saying? What is the scripture saying? Christ took the pain so he gets all the power. Christ took the suffering so he gets all the glory. Christ took the ultimate loss so he gets the ultimate victory. But the thing that's so crazy about it is he did it so that we could share in it. Paul says, for I reckon the sufferings of the present time ain't even worth talking of. Ain't even to be compared. Ain't even able to hold a candle to. The glory, the glory, the glory shall be revealed in me, in you, in us. If we ever learn, if we ever learn, oh my God, if we ever learn how to be dependent on God. How to be patient. Yes. Yeah. How to be humble before yes. God. Yes, sir. 
so that we can walk in the victory that he ordained for us before the foundation of the world. But we can only do that in a relationship with him by allowing him to do so. That's why Paul is able to say in the middle of a Roman prison, after being beat, after being stoned, after being left for dead, after being flogged, he's able to tell the Philippians, I'm all right. I'm cool. I'm okay. For I reckon the sufferings of the present time ain't even worth talking about. Ain't even to be compared to. Can't even hold a candle to the glory that God is revealing in me, in you, in us. Oh my If we ever learn how to trust this God of victory, how to trust this Jehovah Nisi, how to trust this conqueror, this suffering soldier, oh my God, the victory on the other side of the suffering ain't even worth comparing to the suffering you're going through right now. So if you don't know who Jesus Christ is right now, I implore you. I beg of you, I beseech you, come get to know this conqueror. Come get to know the God of our salvation. Come get to know the God of our victory so that he can show you who Christ is the conqueror, the winner, and the victor. In you, in you, in you, in you, in you, in you. In you, in you. Lord, 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 Glory be to God. Is there one tonight who wishes to give their life to Christ tonight? Is there one? You heard the word. You hear how much Christ has done to deliver us from the bondage of sin. We've heard what Christ has done for us, the things that we couldn't do for ourselves. Because he loves us that much. Is there one who's willing to commit to him tonight? Is there one who's willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Yes, Lord, I need you. Yes, Lord. I need you to forgive me of my sins. Is there one tonight? 